0: Good afternoon, and welcome back to the EJS Show on the Liberty Block with Ed, Jody, and Steve. Today, we will be discussing various political issues and current events through conservative and libertarian lenses, recognizing that these may well be issues where political ideologies struggle to stay consistent in their goals and beliefs. This show is being recorded live and will be available within a few hours as a podcast, which can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching for EJS Show on Liberty Block. Um, Today, we actually have a whole bunch of subjects that we wanna cover, if only briefly. I know a lot of people are kinda sick and tired of COVID, but uh, there's a few stories out there that make me wonder if we're going a little bit too far. One of them is about the, the headline, and this is from Daniel Greenfield, who's pretty reliable. And the headline is, Hawaii Democrats order a married couple not to share a bed. Uh, No jokes from the old married folks here. Is that going a little (laughs) bit too far?
1: Well, I sure think so. This is Jody. Hi, everyone. Hi, Jody. I mean, what happened to, you know, we want the government out of our bedrooms, that's one of the leads in one of the articles I read.
0: That's actually the exact argument that people are using. And it's funny how the left has gone more pro-law and order in the COVID sense, although they're obviously not pro-law and order in the Portland sense. So yeah, it does sound like a wee bit hypocritical.
2: Hey Steve, this is Ed Maslisch here. How are you all? We're awesome. I I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that the I wouldn't say that the left is pro-law and order, even on COVID. They're not pro-law and order. They're pro-control. Yeah. And they want to be in control of your life and my life and everybody else's life. And if they use, if they have to use the police to do it, they'll use the police. If they have to use the mob, they'll use the mob. But really, they're just for control. And ultimately, the, even control is not an end in and of itself. Control is just a means by which they want to destroy our civilization. That's that's really what the end goal is here, um, and all everything else is just sort of a fig leaf. They they use everything they do can be channeled towards that goal, or can be viewed through the prism of trying to advance that particular goal. Um, so. Uh, okay, I did I did I did, um, I oh, did, I did mention say, that think, this
0: is being recorded, didn't I? So I'm going to hold you to that. That difference between control slash law and order is a biggie for those of us talking about conservative versus libertarian. Okay. So I'm just holding on to that.
2: Hold on, hold on to it tightly.
0: Because we don't want people to think we all agree on stuff. It would make us boring.
1: No, but you know what? Another point in this discussion goes back to the things we've discussed before as a distinction between libertarian and conservative, being that libertarians generally... I can't remember how you word it, Ed, but that their end game is liberty and and, an end game for conservatism is life. And so this kind of is a subject that has both of those elements at play. Presumably, the argument for this lack of liberty is the preservation of life. So I just want to toss that out in there. Well, that's one of the reasons I'm
2: bringing it up. (laughs) that's the justification, really the rationalization that's put out there, but the evidence, the evidence for it being necessary to protect life is very scant and very weak. Um, yes, there's a virus that's out there. It's not a hoax. It's not fake. There are people who are really harmed by it. There are some people whose internal organs are being liquefied by it, but as far as it being a pandemic and as far as it being something that's killing thousands or tens of thousands or millions of people like we were threatened with at the beginning of this, it's simply not true. You just, it, you wouldn't need, you wouldn't need to to compare statistics from the CDC or from any other, or the WHO or any, any other sources that are given. You would know just by how many people are dying in the streets. I mean, it's sort of, you know, it's sort of analogous to this whole notion of, systemic racism that's permeating through our culture right now we can we can list the, the people that are being prosecuted by the police you know george floyd uh eric garner you know michael brown and 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 i can disagree with some of these underlying cases like uh like michael brown and and um you know the guy in in georgia i'm just forgetting his name right now um Shard something or another
0: Rashard brooks i think
2: yes yes right uh but the point the point is not well, not the individual cases it's the fact that we can talk about them as individual cases we don't know six million names of jews that died at, at hitler's hand we don't know the names of all the millions of people that died in the holomondor by stalin's you know uh starving the, the the ukrainians we don't know the names of all the, the armenians that were the subject of turkish genocide in 1915. the point of a, a the point is if it were some gigantic thing, we wouldn't be able to identify it by the names of certain individuals. And you know, with COVID nineteen, there's just not that many. There's just not that many people to dying that justify what's going on. And if you look un, if you really look at the numbers, it's really limited to, um, you know, uh, nursing home facilities. That's that's where the the cases are centered more than. 40 or 50% of all the deaths are in nursing homes. And we've got you know Cuomo and other governors that have forced the nursing homes to take in COVID patients for a long time. So uh,
0: I'll let okay. you join in, Steve. You just triggered me because Dr. <laughs> Fauci assured all of us that Cuomo handled things correctly. So I'm gonna give you a chance to take
2: that back. Well, Dr. Fauci's an idiot.
0: Okay, good, I like that even better. The other case that suggests we're going a little too far is the Kentucky couple that's under house arrest because they wouldn't sign a form saying they're going to to quarantine. Now, again, taking the libertarian stance, and I think I'm the minority on this call, but minorities are in nowadays, um, I'm not sure I would agree to such measures even if the pandemic were killing half the population. I think I would still say it's up to people to take care of themselves, not up to the government to lock them in their homes, force them to wear masks. Like I heard somebody on a podcast this morning, you're a total blithering idiot if you don't wear a motorcycle helmet, but it shouldn't be the government's business.
2: Well, I think that if the evidence were so overwhelming that half the population were dying, I would be a little more comfortable with the government intervening and and imposing a mandate to protect the population, or or to protect the remaining population. Uh, whether, Whether the issue is helping to create herd immunity to kill the virus off that way, or just is a general proposition the government can protect people's lives but the issue is not does the government properly have the power to protect lives the issue is is the government action in fact advancing the protection of life or is it or is it really just an effort at controlling the population and taking its liberty away under the guise of protecting their lives and i think it's the latter right now but in the hypothetical you gave it certainly could be a legitimate, you know, there could be a legitimate need to protect people's lives. So I wouldn't just okay. rule that out.
0: We're being consistent. Let me, uh, Go in. Go, we yeah, have a I, guest here. Go. I'm
3: going to jump in real quick. I, yeah, there, There's obviously no perfect answer here, and this is kind of unprecedented, at least since uh, the 1918, uh, whatever pandemic we had back then. But it, it really... The trouble with analyzing this is suppose that uh, this this were a virus with a 100% uh, transmission rate and a 95% fatality rate. So if you walk outside and come anywhere near somebody, you're probably going to get them sick and they're probably going to die. And this is, you know, for the sake of argument, this has been scientifically established and everybody agrees on it. At that point, it's difficult to say that the state can't do anything about it, that they can't intervene. Obviously, that's an extreme example, and that's not the example we're dealing with here. We're dealing with something much less than that, but still, you know, it's highly contagious. It is killing some people, and there's this big gray area where we find ourselves, and it's just not really uh, susceptible of a clean answer. And, I, I, you know, the other problem is there's not much you can do to challenge it as a citizen. I mean, we're starting to see some lawsuits. Um, but good luck challenging the government action because at the end of the day it's going to be subject to a rational basis standard of review and it's not going to get you anywhere to argue uh, that the government could have employed somewhat less restrictive means or could have narrowly tailored uh, these restrictions a little more because the government doesn't have to do that um, as long as it can employ some rational basis unless it's you know clearly violating a constitutional right and I, I don't know what you know, explicit constitutional rights it's violating, but generally the government's just going to have to provide a rational explanation for what it's doing, and its explanations are going to be deemed rational. And how many judges are going to stick their neck out there and say, yeah, the government says it's, you know, employing this restriction for public health, but I, as a judge, I'm going to come along and say, no, you've gone too far. Not many judges are going to do that. So you don't really have much recourse.
2: This is is Ed Maslach. I just want to respond to that. I think, and, and tying this back to the McCloskey's, which is where we started, I think the real way to, to deal with both the COVID lockdowns, the COVID taking of our liberty and, and what's going on in the McCloskey case is that this is exactly what the 14th Amendment was enacted to, prevent, to protect us against. State actors acting under color of state law, violating the rights of citizens. And this is a situation where Bill Barr should be getting involved, and Bill Barr should be acting on behalf of the American people to protect our rights from these violations by state officials. It, you, it may you may well be right that a private citizen suing would have a hard time winning that case. Although uh, even under rational basis review, some of the distinctions drawn, like you know, like closing a gym, you know, like closing a a, a church. You know, but keeping a a marijuana dispensary and and a liquor store open, I'm not sure that that passes rational basis review. Um, I'm not sure it passes equal protection review, again, which would be a rational basis standard, because you don't have a protected class. But leaving that aside, I I think the the real issue is this is a situation where the elected branches of the federal government are supposed to intervene under the 14th Amendment. This is why we have a 14th Amendment. The only difference is today, it's not ex-slaves, it's non-slaves. But the 14th Amendment wasn't only protecting slaves, it's protecting all of us from having our rights violated through state actors acting legally through state means. And that's what's going on here. And it needs to be, a, we need a Justice Department response from this, in my opinion.
1: Are you talking just about the
3: McClacky case or... Because I agree in in that sense, and there are, there's a clear-cut violation of a, of a constitutional right. Or are you also talking about the COVID stuff, where I'm not sure that I agree? Because I, you know, frankly, if it's, you know, wear a mask or that sort of thing, I don't know what constitutional right's being violated. And even, well, you know, and more fundamentally, we're talking about state police powers, which under our Constitution are left to the states. I don't know. I, I don't know of a clear-cut violation of of a federal constitution, uh, really, from for any of these state restrictions, offhand. Well, well, maybe wearing a mask. Maybe, maybe wearing a mask would be okay.
2: I'm sorry. Go ahead, finish. No, I, I finished. Oh, sorry. Well, maybe the mask wouldn't be wouldn't be subject to wouldn't be a violation of constitutional rights. But we do have a right to earn a living in this country. We do have a right to go to church and synagogue in this country. We we do have privacy rights that are being violated by contact tracing. There are constitutional rights that are being abrogated by state and local officials in the name of fighting this COVID virus. And at the very least, I'd like to see the Justice Department make the case, make the argument. If the courts don't rule in our fa- in, in their favor, fine. But the, you know what what when when the question is what can we do, that's what we can do. Section five of the fifteen of the Fourteenth Amendment says Congress may enforce this amendment through appropriate legislation. We've we've got civil rights laws on the books. The Justice Department should enforce those laws, and the same way Roger Stone got perp walked, we should the, the Justice Department should be perp walking some of these state actors that are bragging about how they're violating constitutional rights, all in the name of state police power. When when the when the during Reconstruction state actors in the South were also saying they are acting under state law. And that's what the 14th amendment was designed to protect us against. So I think this is a justice department situation.
0: Okay. Hold on. I want to give Jody a second. Go ahead, Jody.
1: No, I was just going to bring up the Kentucky couple. And from what I understand this couple test both tested positive and the issue wasn't in their mind. The issue wasn't an unwillingness to do the quarantine. They were willing to do the quarantine. Their their issue was that they didn't want to sign this paperwork because of some of the wording, so they they wouldn't sign the government paperwork. It's
2: about contact that's,
1: So that's when they got the ankle bracelets put on them. And so, to me, I don't. I'm. I, I guess I'm open to how do we assure that people quarantine. But for gosh sakes, are are we going to be that um, draconian about it?
0: Okay, gonna I'm going to go out on a limb here because the name of this, the host of this show is the Liberty Block and not the Life Block. So I guess that's something we need to argue (laughs) about. But I'm taking the libertarian stance. If you don't want to get sick, you stay in your house or you can wear PPE. You can wear head-to-toe masks and gowns like they do in a surgical suite. And that's gonna protect you, but you can't impin- impose on me to change what I'm wearing. And that's where I draw my line, and I don't care if it's 95% lethal, buy a spacesuit. I wanna go out, that will protect you. So I, I realize I'm
2: the minority here. Well, I think that if, if if the threat is real enough and objective enough, I think the government could quarantine you, but on the facts that we have right now, our government is nowhere near being able to make that case.
0: Okay, um, and again, I wanna move on. We, we touched on McCloskey. Just to stick with this for one more second, racism has been declared a public health crisis. I forget, forget by which organization, and there's no question that we have been told by our Lord and Savior Greta Thunberg that climate change is a much bigger health crisis. Once we allow that a severe health crisis that endangers the lives of tens of thousands of people, can warrant this kind of action on behalf of government, we're done. Because climate change is threatening 8 billion people, not a couple million. And that's why I would never cede that to them because they're gonna turn off your air conditioning and say, you are putting everybody on the planet at risk. They really believe that, go ask AOC. So that's why I really don't wanna concede that argument at all.
2: That's a fair point. I mean, I I think the science is, is far less determined than the global, than, the, than Greta Thunberg and some of these other climate change people say, but your point is still well taken. I, I understand what you're saying.
0: Thank you. Um, so that, you know, we touched on the McCloskey thing, just on the, on the gun rights issues. So everybody knows this is the couple that were protecting their neighborhood or their home from a, what they say is a relatively out of control mob that was on private property. They held weapons or they brandish weapons. I don't know the exact legal definition of that. And now they're being charged with a felony by the local district attorney, I guess it is, and the state attorney general and the governor have both said that they're going to try and either pardon the person or get the charges dropped. Um, It seems to be that legally, as somebody was explaining to me, the attorney general has a right to overrule the local. Is that everybody's understanding?
3: I'm I'm not not sure. sure. It depends on the... Yeah, I mean, that's going to depend on Missouri law. I, you know, as a general matter, the Attorney General is the chief law enforcement officer of the state, um, and certainly uh, I would think has authority over uh, local prosecutors. But that can, I'm sure there are some variations from state to state, and I can't speak to Missouri law on that issue.
0: Now, again, going back to chilling effects, and by the way, I guess it's a good thing to have chilling effects because that will keep the entire globe cooler, won't it? So going. Going back to the chilling effects, the messages to gun owners, um, there's actually, there was an article put up by one of the more libertarian editors on Liberty Block about don't dare use your gun. So this is just another very strong message that even if you feel threatened in or outside your own home, don't you dare. So whether these charges are dropped or not, a lot of people are going to be a lot more resistant to actually showing a weapon. And by the way, showing a weapon is probably a lot more peaceful than using one.
2: I would go even further, Steve. I I think that it's not just a message aimed at gun owners. It's a message aimed at anyone who's even thinking about opposing the mob. I think it's a message, it's a shot across the bow at all Trump supporters, at all Republicans, at anyone who's opposing what's going on in these inner cities right now. It's a warning that the system is gonna come after you. It's not gonna protect you, it's gonna come after you. So you better shut your mouth and hide under your bed and hope that they don't kill you because the police aren't gonna protect you and the prosecutors aren't gonna protect you if you try and protect yourself. That's, I think, So I think whether you have a gun or not, it, it's telling you shut your mouth and go away. Don't get in the way of the mob. Okay.
1: Well, they're doing a good job sending that message.
0: Right, you know, I I just want to bring up for one second, there was a case that happened in New York that I found rather ironic, happened a couple of days ago. So I assume everybody knows that right outside Trump Plaza or the Trump Hotel, they painted Black Lives Matter in gargantuan letters on the street. And there's been a lot of vandalism of that. So this black lady the other day was pouring black paint to cover over Black Lives Matter. And her point was she wanted to refund the police and not defund the police. So she was out there fighting for the police. The police were sent to arrest her. One of the NYPD cops slipped and fell on the paint that she was using to support the NYPD. And then she was charged with something. And I find it nothing if not ironic the police are forced to arrest somebody protecting them against the mob that wants to destroy them. Comments?
2: Well, this is Ed speaking. I don't... How can I say this? I think it's time for the police to stand up and recognize and pick a side on whose side they want to be on. The police have been enforcing COVID restrictions for four months now. The police... The police are the good guys, in my opinion. But I think they are letting the mobs run wild. This, I'm sorry, is, is are we getting static right here, or here? Are we yeah, getting into keep going, keep uh, going? The the police need to need to decide: are they on the side of protecting people's rights, or are they on the side of these thugs, whether from the government? or that are sanctioned by the government that are looking to violate all of our rights. And, you know, the police and ideally the police should just be enforcing the law. But what's going on right now is such a perversion of what of, of law that I think that we need to have some police leaders stand up and say, We are the good guys. We're not going to stand by and, and allow ourselves to be trashed like this. And we're not going to we're not going to enforce these kinds of Constitutional violations, uh, you know, that these governors are imposing for COVID, and we're going to protect people's rights. Whether it's your Second Amendment right to self-defense, whether it's your right to earn a living, whether it's your right to, to protect yourself, we are here to protect you. We are not here to harm you, and we're here to protect you from the from the real criminals. And you know, if if Mayor De Blasio doesn't want us to do it, well, that's his problem. But we're gonna we're gonna do what we need to do. And I think that the police need to stand up and rec- and, and point out what's going on. They, they, they need to stop. They're, they're complicit with their silence as to what's going on right now. They are under attack just as much as you and I are under attack. And where are they? They're hiding.
0: So in today's newspaper, today or yesterday, there was a full page ad. It, unfortunately, it doesn't say which newspaper. But it's from the police benevolent association of the nypd right big letters what did you think would happen and it's a whole thing about sticking up for the police as far as why the crime rate has gone so far up et cetera, et cetera. so to a small extent they're quote sticking up for themselves what i think i hear you saying is they need to pick a side and that's kind of interesting go ahead
1: jody well i've got two questions and hopefully one of them sort of helps Maybe go to what Ed said, but my first question is, why were the police called on this black woman painting over the BLM? But the people painting BLM had no, inter- you know, they, they weren't called by the police for that. No oh, number the, the mayor,
0: the mayor is the one who painted it.
1: Okay, so right, but that's what I mean to to about my, they that need that to pick a to side. My, this gets to my second question. So the officer that shows up, right, that officer presumably the men officers doing what they're told by the higher ups. I'm just, I'm trying to differentiate between the officers on scene of these things and the higher ups telling them what they have to do. I'm just, I'm thinking that most of the officers in the United States aren't wanting to do that thing. They're not wanting to be, you know, we just had it in Chicago last Friday, you know, big, Defund the Chicago Police Department. You know, tons of people carrying banners and who's there. Our police officers have to be there to police this to make sure that there's not violence and intervene if there is. And think of that moment of you're a police officer and here you are with defund the police people. I'm just saying the frontline police probably aren't really excited about picking that side. And I would wager the ones forcing them to are higher ups.
0: Okay, but remember, hey, if right. it's the libertarians who want to get the police to refuse more orders, and it's well, the conservatives who want them to keep all the orders. And again, I think this is a very difficult place to draw a line. Your order well, to protect somebody who wants to kill you. Go ahead, Ed.
2: Yeah, well, I, I was a little uh, careless in the way I phrased it earlier. When I say the police, I mean the higher-ups. I mean the chief of, chiefs of police. I'm not saying that I think that individual police officers should pick and choose which laws they want to enforce, although they do have some discretion on how they're gonna act. But the real issue is these chiefs of police, these leaders of the police that are standing by and doing nothing and saying nothing as their men in in uniform are being slandered and defamed and scapegoated and, and, and physically attacked. I mean, we've seen the police cars and the police vehicles that are on fire, the police stations that have been taken over in minneapolis and seattle where are the chiefs of police to say this is an insurrection and if the and and where are the chiefs of police say to say if governor so and so isn't willing to, to, to put this down president trump help us
0: okay you're you're we're getting into all kinds of territory that I was, I'm trying to skirt, but it is all kind of linked together. Um, Jody brought up Chicago. I don't know if everybody watched the scenes of them throwing all kinds of garbage at the Chicago cops and the Chicago cops weren't even wearing helmets. I believe, I believe it was at Grant Park the other day. Yes, Mm -hmm. thing was a pretty disgusting episode. Now I am more libertarian when it comes to police. I'm still kind of a stickler for law and order. So if you wanna curse at the police and be a total idiot, I think that's your right. I think the police have to take it calmly. If you touch the police, spit on the police, or throw something at the police, I have no problem you being locked up for 100 years. And I think we're doing the exact opposite. What we do is when the NYPD arrests somebody for any heinous thing they do towards the cops, they're out, on bail, out without bail, excuse me, immediately. So we do the exact opposite of what you need to do. We're not punishing the offenders. Sure. Right. So unfortunately, I'm glad you clarified that. Um, I think, you know, for the higher ups, it's really tough because they're into the political end of all of this, whether they like it or not. And the unions also have their issues with it. This is a super, super complicated issue. And then the, the other point is. You know, you're talking about letting Trump in. So we haven't mentioned the P word today, but I guess you're going to drag me into it. (laughs) Portland. Um, What's going on in Portland, if I hear you correctly, Ed, you're saying constitutionally the federal government not only has a right, but may have an obligation to step in and protect the freedom of movement of the citizens of Portland, even when the mayor and governor of the state are yelling, we absolutely refuse to let you in.
2: Well, Portland's a special case because in Portland, the federal government is coming in, not just, not just, or even primarily to protect the local people. It's coming in because a federal courthouse and federal buildings are under attack. There's graffiti, there's broken windows. They've been trying to set fires to them. And the local officials will not protect those, that federal property. And the federal government absolutely has a right to protect its own property that I don't even see how that's debatable, but going past that yes i think under the insurrection act under various like i said under the 14th amendment when state officials are using their local police power to accomplish a violation of rights of the local people it is the obligation and duty of the federal government to step in and do something to overturn those rights violations we have a right you know Article four, section four says, we have a right to Republican government. And we don't have Republican government when you've got roving gangs going through the streets, bashing in windows and burning buildings down and and destroying businesses. We don't have a, a Republican government when people are not allowed to go and earn a living and go to work. We've been shut down for over four months here in New Jersey. You can't go to work unless you're quote, an essential worker. This is intolerable. This is a violation under the 14th Amendment of our constitutional rights, or of our rights as human beings, and it's being done under color of state law. It's exactly what the 14th Amendment was designed to protect us against. And whether it's Trump sending in troops, or it's uh, Attorney General Barr bringing actions and uh, uh, civil rights actions against those state actors, The federal government has a a duty and an obligation to intervene. Okay, so I'm
0: I'm enjoying the fact, as a secessionist, and I'm glad that Walter E. Williams has pretty much joined us in this, that it's now the liberals who want government control, who are screaming and yelling states' rights, and under no circumstances can the feds come in here. I seem to remember people with a South Carolinian accent saying that many, many years ago. And again, I think the sides are kind of flipping.
2: Well, the the the, Demo- the left and the Democrats are not in favor of federalism. They're not in favor of any rights protecting mechanism. They're just into using using the using the language of rights to destroy rights, and that's all they're doing. They're trying to divide and conquer the right, the political right, by offering up the Constitution and offering up federalism and states' rights issues to try and paralyze the right from acting and divide if they divide us sufficiently and get some of us to say well it's it's federalism it's state rights we don't like it but we should leave them go they figure that they've got their half of the population opposed you know opposed to federal intervention and if all they have to do is divide the other half and they'll have a majority that's that's in favor of letting letting portland burn or letting minneapolis burn or new york burn and that's really what's going on it's not about I mean, it's just, you know, it's just like, you know, you brought up before the whole uh, the, the married couple not allowed to sleep in their beds. We thought, the, you know, some people were, were gullible enough to believe the left thought the government should stay out of your bedroom. The government's not opposed to getting into your bedroom or into your bathroom. They regulate how much water is in your toilet. The, the left is all over the place inside your house, inside your bedroom. They they, they use the language of rights to try and destroy rights. And that's all they're doing in Portland right now.
0: I totally don't disagree with you on that. Of course, that's what they're doing. I just think it's interesting that they're being forced to come out on both sides of everything. And the only reason they get away with it is because they control the media. Otherwise, the media would be saying what you're saying. You guys are literally talking out of both sides of your mouth. Go ahead, Jody. I
1: I wanted to um, bring up and this is a question for you more learned people, but could there be a correlation? I got two questions actually. A correlation between what we see happening now, as, as you've just described, and uh, the onset of the Civil War. I don't want to use you know, inflammatory rhetoric, but you know, the Civil War being the federal government's attempt to keep secession from happening. And that's a little bit of what we see, if it's not those words, it's certainly those behaviors, leave us alone, you can't tell us what to do. Um, Isn't it sort of the same argument that was used for the Civil War as we're seeing now, number one? Number two, is that question, another correlation that has been roaming around in my head, that whole thing about how the left and the right switched or the parties switched, the Democrats and the Republicans switched. But the, the Democrats are still acting like they did in the Civil War, in my mind. And so I'm not so sure that switch ever happened, and that's something I really wanna get to.
0: So Tom Cotton, the senator, I believe, from Arkansas, yesterday, today, wrote an article explicitly saying that this type of activity on the streets is equivalent to Fort Sumter. So you're um, comparing this to the Civil War is not at all out of bounds. interestingly enough, the people on the other side also want to compare it to Fort Sumter in the sense that keep the feds out, the state should have a right to do what it is, whatever they want to do. So I think it's fascinating that you're making that comparison.
1: Well, but then I'm drawing it even a little bit further in, in, in this, in the sense that, you know, it was Democrats versus Republicans in the civil war. And if you ask me, it's the same story, different players, but it was, it is still like it was in the Civil War, Democrats wanting to act um, against individual rights and liberty, against the moral code. And they're doing the same. It's it's, it's like the same story playing out. It is the same Democrats wanting to act uh, against a moral code and the federal government wanting to say, that's not okay and it seems this it seems the story is replaying itself and okay. so when, when you look over history and you get the 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 the, the thing from the left saying well the, the republicans and the democrats switched parties the democrats used to be racist now it's the republicans that are racist and i don't think that is even remotely true and as we see history repeating itself with democrats and republicans i think there's a little bit of you know figuring out mm. For me, and I'd love to talk about it more, but it's the whole, I hear LBJ is when, you know, all of a sudden the Democrats stopped being racist and the Republicans started being racist. And I would wager that is absolutely untrue. It was just a shift of strategy that made it sound like they weren't racist. And here we are today, they haven't changed.
0: Okay, well, once again, that that can only happen because the press allows it. What I will grant you in your argument is that the Democrats have been fleshed out, so to speak, and it's harder for them to play their game because they're being forced to side with issues that they pretend they don't side with. That's how I look at it. I used to think of liberals, I grew up in the 60s, and liberals were the, one, were the ones who wanted personal freedom and keep the mm-hmm. government out of our bedrooms, keep them away from our bodies, et cetera, and they're the total control freaks nowadays. Mm-hmm. But I think they like right. to pretend that they're not. Go ahead, Ed.
2: I think, you know, going back to what Jody said, I think that we are getting a replay of sorts of what started the Civil War, but there's a difference. And the difference is that there was no 14th Amendment at the beginning of the Civil War. We do have a 14th Amendment. The federal government does have a say in overseeing state violations of individual rights. And that's exactly what's going on right now. States are violating individual rights. The governors and mayors that are withholding police protection from their citizens are violating those citizens' rights, and they're acting under color of state law. The COVID violations are deprivations of constitutional rights, again, under color of state law. And the federal government under the 14th Amendment has the power and properly should exercise the power to oversee and overturn those state level, uh, those state rights violations. Okay, so if
0: you were president three months before the election, would you dare?
2: If I were president, would I dare what?
0: Dare enforce the 14th Amendment over the express wishes of a governor and a mayor when the entire press is yelling that these are foreign troops invading. I think it's Chuck Schumer out there yelling. This is just a precursor. When Trump loses the election, he's going to send militarized federal troops and take over the whole country. Would you have the guts to do my, my it? My
2: answer is I would absolutely invoke the 14th Amendment. Uh, whether I sent in troops, I mean, I would certainly send in some federal law enforcement. I don't know that I would call, that I I'd, I'd declare martial law and send in troops the way you're saying, but I absolutely would be telling Attorney General Barr that the Justice Department needs to arrest and perp walk some of these Democratic officials the way Roger Stone got perp walked. These people need to be made. They need to be brought into federal custody. They need to be put into federal prisons where there's no bail reform like there is at the local level, like here in New York. And they need to be made an example of to make sure that everybody knows that these state-level viol- violations of rights are not acceptable, and that President Trump is not going to tolerate them. And if we, if he loses an election, he loses an election. I don't think he would, but that's if I were president, that I would. Whether I sent in troops or not, I don't have that answer. That's a much more complicated question. But I can unhesitatingly say I would absolutely be instructing my attorney general to enforce the civil rights laws against these democratic government officials acting under color of state law.
0: So if I I heard you correctly, you said the 14th Amendment says Congress is the one that, I don't know, decides how to enforce this. I believe that's what you said.
2: Section 5 of the 14th Amendment says Congress... Shall have the power to enforce this amendment with appropriate legislation. I think that's what.
0: What, it says. what does that mean in English?
2: It means that Congress can pass a civil rights law for, deputizing the executive branch to protect the civil rights of citizens from violations by state actors.
0: So that means that if Congress doesn't, then the executive doesn't have the right to.
2: But we have various civil rights laws on the books. Congress we don't have exactly. any
0: civil. Do we have any civil rights laws that says that you can send federal law enforcement or the National Guard to protect civil rights? Did Congress ever say that?
2: Uh, I don't have a citation for you other than the Insurrection Act, but yes. And even if there weren't, even if there weren't a a, a specific statutory provision, Section one of the Fourteenth Amendment says, "No state shall deprive the citizens of that state of the privileges and immunities." And, and various other things, I don't, have the, I, don't, I don't want to misquote it, but uh, the 14th Amendment by itself is authority for the federal, section one of the 14th Amendment is, is authority for the executive branch to act, even if well, there were no statute.
0: We're going way off the reservation here, but I have to comment the Constitution is a piece of paper or parchment. Absolutely not self-enforcing. I actually heard that there's something in there about not infringing on gun rights. It does not self-enforce and we're not ever gonna send federal law enforcement to fight for our gun rights. We're not even sending federal law enforcement to keep a synagogue or a church open. So the constitution is just a piece of paper for better
2: or for worse. I was president, what would I do? This is what I would do.
0: No, I'm asking if that's what you would do. And by the way, what would happen if the president did this and Congress passed a law saying he can't? Now I guess he'd veto it, but they could override that. And then you have, quote, unquote, another constitutional crisis.
2: Well, I don't think Congress can legislate on particular cases that are pending.
0: You said they're the ones that have to authorize them to do it.
2: Right. And I think that, I didn't say they have to. I said that they have the power to authorize it. They have the power to pass civil rights laws, which they have. There are numerous civil rights laws that are on the books. I'm not an expert on civil rights law, but I do know that there are statutes on the books. And whether it's... I mean, you know, look, go back to Eisenhower sending in federal troops to Arkansas to open the the schoolhouse doors because the the governor of Arkansas wouldn't allow black students to to go to school pursuant to the Brown versus Board of Education decision. That was sending in troops. I don't think that you need to send in troops necessarily. Maybe law enforcement's enough. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But we, the, the, executive branch absolutely has the power to bring civil rights actions against these state actors. And that's what needs to happen. They need to pay a penalty. They need to pay a price. Right now, there's no price that these democratic politicians are paying for for the mayhem and the damage that they're causing.
0: Okay. Anybody else want to comment on that? okay we, we convinced everybody because we have silence i i have a lot more i could say about it i just want to touch the last 10 15 minutes or so on this and again it gets back to everything else executive orders the executive order about how the census is going to be used to determine representation based on the census so my understanding is that the president is trying to find a way to make sure that people who aren't in the country legally are counted up and then based on that congress would be reapportioned ie giving california more people in the congress than florida is that your understanding
2: my understand well the executive order hasn't been issued yet but the issue that that he's trying to address is whether illegal Illegal aliens that are within a state should be counted as population for purposes of apportioning seats in Congress. And if you read Article One, Section Two, and then as amended by Section Two of the Fourteenth Amendment, it's not clear that the president has the authority to do this. Um, at least on the on the uh, face of the of Section Two of the Fourteenth Amendment. However, there is Supreme Court case law, and apparently there's statutory law that does protect, that does support the president's position. Um, just as a matter, you know, stepping away from, from the, what the actual document says, it, it seems ridiculous to me that California, for instance, could invite, you know, 500 million Chinese into its state and basically take over the House of Representatives by, uh, by granting residency to you know, 500 million Chinamen, or or the entire population of Mexico, or whoever they want to do, if they if, if under state law those people become residents, I don't see how that should affect. That should allow California to take over the House of Representatives. But a literal reading of the of the language of Article One, Section Two, and particularly Fourteenth Amendment, Section Two, suggests that they could get away with that. I, I haven't read the statute. The statute. the the census statute is, is, is lengthy and I haven't looked at it, but, um, apparently, uh, under, under article one, section two, there's a, there's a clause that says that the, the actual enumeration has to be done as as Congress may so direct by law. And apparently under the the law, Congress has passed the president and the president and the executive branch do have some discretion in how they, how they do the counting, um, but we also know that John Roberts said that the discretion didn't extend to asking a citizenship question on the census. So uh, I don't know how the courts are gonna come out on that, but uh, my understanding is that they, there is statutory and case law authority for the president's proposed action. Uh, I'm a little less uh, convinced based on the words of the constitution, but I'm not sure if that's, that's really the, it's gonna be litigated. And there's
0: no reason to believe that any district court judge anywhere can overrule the president.
2: Yeah, right. I mean, that's a whole separate issue as to whether a district court judge should properly have the power to issue a national injunction. I think that's a huge legal issue. And I think it would be great if the Trump administration would make that a big, big issue going forward. But uh, right now, we've got district court judges that uh, are issuing injunctions that apply beyond the, bound, the boundaries of their district, and they're making nationwide injunctions. Uh, I think that's wrong. I think that's way beyond the power of a district court judge, but uh, they've usurped that power for now, and that's that's the way the law is right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't wanna give Adam Schiff any excuses to impeach the president here.
2: I don't think you need to give him any excuses. They're gonna do whatever they want anyhow.
0: <laughs> really? So. Um... I know I'm probably going to lose everything I own, but I have an idea for a compromise. Since the president is refusing to count anybody here illegally, and the Democrats are insisted on doing so, why don't we count each one of them as three-fifths?
1: Oh, Lord.
3: (laughs) Okay.
0: Um, Does our guest want to add anything to this conversation?
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, speaking of the Roberts decision, and I I haven't read it in a while, but I, I recall it was decided on just technical uh, APA grounds. And he, if I remember correctly, he agreed that the citizenship question could be asked. Um, and so th- there's a majority of votes on the Supreme Court that says, yes, the president can ask a citizenship question, frankly. Um, and they just, they, I, I think they they basically concluded that the Trump administration's explanation for the inclusion of the question was uh, dishonest or it was subterfuge or I, I forget the exact word that Roberts used in the, in the majority opinion, but I, I think, uh, you know, the majority of the Supreme court uh, agrees that you can ask a citizenship question. I think Ed's point's exactly right. I keep coming back to when you look at these blue States that openly violate federal immigration law, and create sanctuary cities and even sanctuary states, there is nothing that would prevent them from effectively just taking over the entire house of representatives by inviting enough people in. Um, And I don't know how to get around that. I I think the problem is when the constitution was drafted, I don't think the framers ever could have dreamed uh, that our country would end up where it has. And it brings to mind the famous Benjamin Franklin quote when, uh, when he was asked, after the Constitution Convention, what kind of uh, government he created, right? Uh, and, and just the, the old saying that the, the government was created, or the Constitution was created for immoral people. I don't, I don't think they could have ever anticipated there'd be a situation where a state would openly defy uh, federal immigration law, um, invite millions of people and prevent the federal government from doing anything about it, and then try to use that to gain political power. In uh, the House of Representatives, I think if they could have foreseen that, they probably would have drafted the Constitution a little differently. And I don't know what we do about it now. Obviously, we're textualists, and we, we're not uh, living constitutionalists, so and we don't say, "Well, times are changing, so we have to interpret the text differently now." Um, but it leaves us in a in a difficult situation where the text doesn't really address this. And I, I think Ed's uh, view is right that if you interpret it literally. Um, California probably could get away with it. So I don't really know where we go from here. It's a very difficult question, but I, I'm glad to see that Trump hasn't given up the fight because it's an important one. Um, at the very least, it's preposterous to suggest that uh, the federal government has no business inquiring into how many people are here legally or illegally. So, so good I have a luck question. Man. He's going to need
0: it. Nobody's arguing. No one's arguing we shouldn't count diplomats or that we should count diplomats, right? Presumably, are we arguing that if somebody's here for a day, we should count them? Like, how is anybody defining this? And since it needs to be defined, then it gets to the question of who defines it, Congress and or the president. You've got to define it somehow. How about if I'm flying over California that day? How about if I have a layover in America that day? We have to define it one way or the other.
2: Well, it's not done on a a single day basis. It's done over a range of months. but just getting back to something david said i i don't think that i think the framers did understand this and i don't think they would have written the constitution any differently i think you know he he mentioned the quote that i've used before which is you know john adams quote that our constitution was written for a religious and moral people and it would be of no use to any other i think that the framers understood that if virtue le- if the people didn't have virtue there were no paper parchment uh, restrictions they could put on the government that would save them. Um, that said, I think this gets you know this gets into the difference between libertarians and conservatives. I think libertarians basically say that that there's nothing the government can do. You can't interfere with with the free choices and the free workings of of, of the individuals that are acting, even the states that are acting, and. And and libertarians also say that it's not proper for the government to be in any way legislating any kind of morality. Um, I think conservatives are going to say a little bit differently that we need virtue in our people. And um, I don't know. Maybe let me try it a different way. I I think that when we have a, such a lack of virtue that we have right now, say in California, it's not to me, it's not sufficient to just point to the Constitution and say that's that's all we can do. I mean, I'm not calling for armed insurrection or armed rebellion right now, but I am saying that extraordinary measures do need to be considered. And, you know, whether it's an executive order that has, uh, I don't want to say questionable constitutional legitimacy, but maybe it's going to be – maybe the courts are going to invalidate it, but the virtue in it could just be making the, making the other side have to litigate it because that's what the other side does to us. You know, Obama implemented DACA firmly believing that it was unconstitutional and that he didn't have the power to do it. And he made us litigate it. And, and the courts gave him a bonus when they, when they ruled in his favor, but he didn't expect to win. He just expected to tie us up in knots in litigation. And maybe that's all we need that's that's as much as we can get out of it and maybe that's as much as trump's executive order can can give us but you know in in a in a different society in a different context in a different time i wouldn't be in favor of using you know the legal process for that kind of means but we need to be willing to consider any alternative available that's reasonable that can slow this erosion of our rights down and right now california and, and these other states that are that have sanctuary cities and sanctuary states, they are trying to erode our rights and they're trying to take over the House of Representatives. And we need to do something to stop it. I'm, I'm not saying I have every answer as to what, but if it's an executive order that has questionable legitimacy, but maybe gets through the 2020 census without counting them, I would say go for it and let them deal with it in 2030 if they have to. Um, maybe there are other alternatives, but The point is we need to be prepared to fight. We need to stop uh, allowing the other side to use the constitution as a weapon against us. And I'm gonna
0: give give final comments to Jody and our guest and then we're gonna wrap up. Jody, anything you'd like to contribute?
1: Uh, I was just gonna say, you know, if, if law can't control unvirtuous people, where are we gonna go? How do you fix the problem if it's not through law, because law can't control unvirtuous people? Just leaving something to think about. Anyone else?
3: Uh, Any comment? Yeah, I I don't really have much to add to what Ed and Jody said, you're both correct. And uh, you can't, I hate to use the phrase, phrase legislate morality. Um, You can replace morality with virtue. You can't really legislate virtue. And uh, it's, it's really difficult to see where we go from here where you've got this critical mass of uh, non-virtuous people who no longer have America's best interests at heart and there's not even really much common ground left. Um, you can't legislate it, so I'm, I'm not really sure where to go. Maybe that's a uh, discussion for another day.
0: Right, I think it uh, gives us room to talk about things in future episodes of EJS. Um, we can talk about our glorious education system that's done such a good job of um, what's, imparting virtue to, uh, to the next generation. And we didn't talk about today, but it's very, very relevant to all of this. Another way that the liberals are sabotaging our elections, which is going to be the mail and ballot issue. But we're gonna wrap up for today. I'm going to remind everyone that this will be uploaded as a podcast very shortly. It will be on SoundCloud and on iTunes. All you have to do is search for EJS on the Liberty Block. And I thank you for being part of it today. And we will see you next week, three o'clock Wednesday, July the 29th. Thank you very much.
2: Thanks everybody.
0: Thank you.